the first of four panels recorded during FACTS 2018 Spring Edition. I was fortunate enough to moderate a get-together of five Bongo Comics luminaries, talking about all things comics, Bongo Comics, Matt Groening and much, much more. They start off introducing themselves, but unfortunately the recording started just after John Delaney said his name. I believe that's really the only thing missing. They were a fast-talking but knowledgeable bunch, so I had very little talking to do myself, fortunately, for the all of you. Enjoy the show. Come back soon. Or for Bongo for about 23 years. I actually got the gig because of James. James is actually the one who got me this gig. And uh, I think I was somewhat instrumental in getting Andrew on Simpsons, but I'm not sure because I did require a request that you work, but you might have been there already. That segues into okay, Andrew? Okay, yeah. Well, um, I'm Andrew Peepoy, and I've been working on The Simpsons now for 17 years? No, eight, 18, 18 years now. And um, I, I ended up on the book because it was sort of a roundabout route. I finally met my hero artist, Dan oh. DiCarlo. Oh, yeah, him. And <laughs> oh, I'm actually, sorry, John. Oh, you know. I assumed we were going somewhere else. But, but yeah, uh, no, I met, I met Dan DiCarlo, and, uh, who, in, who told me he was working on some Simpsons comics. And so he introduced me to Bill Morrison, and Bill and I quickly bonded over our love of Dan DiCarlo's work, and so I ended up working on some, a few odds and ends, but I uh, didn't do a whole lot until, yes, John requested me, apparently, on this... Uh, Carl Barks tribute issue where they needed a very different look than what was the traditional Simpsons look at the time. And so yes, and, and then fortunately Matt really liked what we did together on a different than standard look and that allowed them to try a lot of different styles. And so I started getting a lot of work from them and here I am. And Dan DeCardo for the audience is um, the famed, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, a penciler artist for uh, Archie Comics? Yeah, Archie Comics, yeah. yeah Archie, he yeah. drew Betty and Veronica for 50 years. Yeah. And, created, and created Sabrina the Teenage Witch and Josie, Josie and the Pussycats. Kind of defined the, the, the look that people most associate with Archie and Betty yeah. and Veronica. Yeah. He's, yeah. He's and maybe guy. even like uh, an, animated, an animated look. The an, well, the, the first animated series comics. definitely was lifted from the Dan DiCarlo look for sure. Yeah. 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 And then we have Tone. No, I'm, I'm Tone Rodriguez. Um, I, uh, I guess I've been working for Bongo for about 20 years. And uh, I, I guess I kind of came in a different way. I originally was working on uh, Trias of Horror, which is the annual uh, artist du jour book. And uh, I, when, th when they asked me to, to, to do it, um, they, uh, they told me to just go ahead and do what I do, because I've been drawing comic books for a while. And I said, okay, well, cool, can you give me the turnarounds? And they were like, no, 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 you don't understand. We want you to draw it the way you draw it. And I said, no, no, you don't understand. I want to draw it the way you draw it. So by doing that, I've managed to, you know, continue to work for Bongo on Radioactive Man and Futurama and oh. countless uh, Trias of Horrors. So that's my story. 
Well, I'm James Lloyd, and uh, I started with Bongo. I guess it's actually 20 years, so 98. Um, and I so wor first worked example. on the very short-lived uh, Simpsons Sunday strip, um, which had been at the time a big coup for Matt uh, because they were going to get a full-page strip. Um, and that hadn't been done since, I think, the 30s or 40s when that was standard. And that was what I was hired on to do initially. Um, it just didn't last because they did the um, episode, or at least the strip, where Itchy and Scratchy uh, had a great <laughs> Christmas adventure, which I think Scratchy was disemboweled by a Christmas tree. <laughs> it was dropped <laughs> by many papers for that reason, and that was kind of the end of that strip. But that parlayed into, I had done something on the strip that they liked enough to give me a full book. Um, so I started doing the Simpsons comic. Uh, then, and the very first one on that was the Krusty brand Fun Factory. So we actually went into Krusty's, uh, it was a Willy Wonka takeoff. And it was, we went into this factory and there was all this elaborate stuff. And the idea of the comic was that there were these mechanical monkeys that uh, Krusty had working for him that go mad and the, uh, pursue uh, the guests uh, at the Custer Band Fun Factory. The point of all this being is it was a very elaborate book for The Simpsons at the time, and it had, I suppose, with the robots, a bit of a science fiction angle, and because that went over big, uh, this was 99, and they were coming up on Futurama, which I didn't know about. And Bill Morrison, who's always been a great ally of mine, um, he's, he was the art director at the time um, at Bongo Comics, a uh, wonderful guy and um, should be spoken about in this panel because Definitely. he really drove uh, the shape of the comics. And he's been art director on, on, on the show itself, Futurama. Um, and he was the one who wanted to be on the first issue of Futurama. I did it, thanks to him. And um, from then on, the rest is history. I was the regular artist on it up until its end last year in September. So that marked a 17-year run. Um, there were alternate artists on it, but anyways. So I basically. <laughs> <been> <laughs> I should point out that earlier. Earlier I oh said right, I think I worked John, for 23. John, he was on there yeah. too. Yeah, oh, yeah, nice. <laughs> I said earlier that it was 23 years, and clearly I was told there would be no math, so I'm I'm way wrong on that. But so yeah. was I. Don't know if that's too long an introduction. That's that's. No, no, no. no. It's uh, that's uh, the story uh, of my time at Bongo Comics. So and it's been. Um, I'll, I'll it's just been a scratch all of these questions off my. Sorry, uh, I'm not good at math either. I, I have no idea when I started, but um, the only reason I'm probably working there is because, Andrew, John, you guys got Bongo to move away from the, they were doing that dead weight animation yeah. line, and I started as an inker in comics uh, well before I worked at Bongo, but to me, that's, yeah, I just don't work that way, and uh, it, it, I was telling you that, I, drawings still, f they feel naked if I don't put shadows and and con you know, thin and thick, and have that kind of effect. So anyway, you guys paved the way. So then they they brought me in. I think I was doing Radioactive Man first. And I remember the very first story. <laughs> I had never drawn the characters. Bill sent me. Um, this was a short story, but Bill sent me trace tracing paper overlays, showing me how properly how to draw sim you know, Homer's head on top of the Radioactive Man body. You know, so he's like Superman with a Homer. That's head. right. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and I, I got a little better at it, but I've never really mastered the, the characters. <laughs> I don't quite. But the, my favorite place is, is the treehouse, and that's mm -hmm. where I really get to do that comic booky inking, and, the, and the, that's the most fun. 
Otherwise, I'm kind of holding myself back. Uh, and they do let me draw the regular books every once in a while. I don't, I don't know why. But, uh, well, I, I, well I get those regular ones because I cling to that deadline stuff. <laughs> you're yeah. the ones who actually brought some character to it. Like, well, yeah, actually, you're just uh, getting the line. You'll get the no, characters exactly No, but see, exactly this, I mean, I, again, don't take that I personally. have no voice. It's not... I'm no. brilliant for it. No, 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 that's not it at all. <laughs> I think I have no personality right. to bring to it whatsoever. What, you fill face. up, you fill <laughs> up your, you fill your pages with so much character. You don't need that. You really don't. I mean, oh, it's a different. No, it's just good. a different it. way of approaching it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we love but, you, man. Uh, oh. I didn't well, expect I, this. I also think that. Um, but but uh, Hiller and John definitely took it into new levels. A comic that has Bart Simpson's comics or or The Simpsons or Futurama on it. Uh, Bongo has been translated in, in uh, a number of languages. Um, and even though Matt uh, Groening would be the first to say it's not for kids, uh, here, for instance, it is very much, the, the comics at least, are very much marketed for children. Right. And they would expect something that looks like the TV show. Yeah. Um, and that is where you play to uh, the strength of the product. I think it's a bit of a chicken and the egg thing. When The Simpsons first came out, I remember when I was working on the, the comic, people would say to me, uh, what are you working on? And The Simpsons, oh, I never let my kids watch that. And I said, well, then you're missing out. Because the reality is, is we don't live like the Brady Bunch. It's not like that. You know, you, you fight, you tell your dad, you know, kiss my ass. <laughs> you know, we, we do things like that. You know, like, that's how kids talk to their parents. Maybe, maybe I'm just my home. I don't know. <laughs> maybe I'm speaking to. But, you know, like, you know, uh, Bart Simpson seemed real to me. And all those characters seemed real to me. And, and in the Futurama world, those people act like real people. Like, Fry's an idiot. You know, not everybody's a gallant, you know, uh, lead for, uh, for a science fiction uh, thing. Fry's a moron. They, they felt more real. So the Simpsons began to sort of as this anti-view anti of the family. And then people kind of caught up to it. And so now the comics, which have never really been quite as... Uh, risque as the, the television show can be, but they are for kids because they are a lot more real and they are funny and kids actually read them and actually laugh at them as opposed to looking at the same joke over and over again, tired trope that you've seen in a lot of these kids' comic books that do come out. The Simpsons actually, I think, is reflective of, of what kids actually like. Okay, but where are you going with this? My point <laughs> being is, is well, <laughs> no, no. he was saying... But to address what you were, uh, what you were saying a little bit there um, yeah. in terms of it being... Yes, we also... We do want to keep it, obviously, recognizable, too. Um, SpongeBob is really interesting, which Bongo also um, puts out, because Chris Duffy, I want to give him a shout-out, um, comes from alternative comics. And he's got a lot of great alternative cartoonists on it. He really wants their voice. So you get some very abstract um, SpongeBob, so, which is kind of fun, too. But I also understand with something like The Simpsons that we're dealing with extremely recognizable characters on the level of Mickey Mouse. And it was when I visit places like Europe, they understand like really the power that it has. It's, there's a huge popularity here. But I think everybody involved in the comic wanted to stretch it out a little bit more without going f too far past expectations. And I think in our own way, we've all tried that. Certainly, um, Ian Boothby, who's not here and should be, um, has as a, he's the writer of um, most of the Futurama comics and has done a lot of um, Simpsons strips. Uh, it, we kind of, you know, at one point in our great swollen ego considered Futurama our book. They were basically leaving Ian and I alone to do it. And it was a real ambition to make sure that this wasn't product. 
even though we were clearly, you know, attached to the whale of the 20th century fox. And you know, obviously, you, you have audience expectations. We w and I didn't want it to feel anything like a knockoff. So I was a bit of a purist in keeping it looking like the show. I, I didn't want it to seem like a separate entity because I grew up with like the Gold Key Bugs Bunny comics, which had nothing to do whatsoever with. There was some obviously some artist kicking out 20 pages, you know, in his sleep, and I didn't want that feeling. It was kind of the curse of licensed books up until the 80s, is that they were very cheap knockoffs. So I definitely wanted it to have the richness and the look of the show, but we also wanted it to have its own personnel. I think everybody here um, pushed once they got into it towards the late 90s to bring bring it out of that realm of any feeling like it was just, yeah, product, and then it would have its own personality. So Ian and I did push on, on Futurama to have, it, to have the comic have its own kind of identity. And it was nice that when the show, you know, during any of its 16 cancellations, um, <laughs> the comic was there, and it yeah. actually helped keep the fandom going. So, yeah, sure. uh, so I think we... Um, you, you mentioned that um, you had 20th Century Fox there. What sort of a relationship or, or I guess, maybe dam uh, is there between the TV network and uh, the comic publisher? Well, we were very protected in many ways because yeah. um, Matt... Bill, Bill was a fox blocker. Ah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, it's just about a comedy... Comic. No, no, I like I'm it. sorry. I like it. Yeah, you take it. This is no, Hillary no, Barta. No. Why am I talking? No, We've no, got no. the great Hillary Barta here, and I'm no, yeah. Can I, but um, what's unusual for um, for uh, Simpsons is, in many ways, it's not a licensed comic. The way it typically works is a company has to pay the the parent company for the license to do the comic, and that's how it works. But um, it was with Bongo. It's Matt's company and he does what he wants with it. So there was actually a real disconnect from Fox. Um, so we were kind of protected in that sense. And it was also very egalitarian. There's a few people who are running Bongo out of LA. Um, they're not part of that bigger entity. And they're all writers and artists themselves. My art director, <coughs> you know, for the longest time, was Jason Ho, who was doing covers. Um, mm -hmm. you know, before that was Bill Morrison, who, like I said, had done, um, well, he's done everything. He's done licensing. He's done um, comic work. When you he's done, when you he's done Disney posters. Yeah. He did uh, some of the legendary Disney posters from the 80s. Um, so they're all artists and writers themselves, and it's a very small core group of people you're working with. So really, there was nothing with 20th Century Fox. Um, my only involvement with 20th Century Fox is they would come to me and say, James, Fox has come approached us. Can you do something for them? So I've done some DVD covers. Um, it's, it's not my first choice in terms of the type of work I <laughs> doing the licensing thing there there's money behind it but that's when you realize oh we really have been protected once you start dealing with the licensing yeah. folks so, so you you don't enjoy it's like you doing want that? everything moved to <laughs> it's like you know we just did 100 characters but you want everything moved one centimeter to the left that kind of thing so yeah, so they don't care about the artistic aspect, simply having well, it fit I on the Well, I don't want to be unkind about The commercial that sort of art, in commercial I mean, art. a lot of people I know, that, that comics is a refuge from doing illustration work, storyboards, whatever, where you're just, your time, I mean, you're on, you know, they're paying you, so, and, but even if they're paying you piecework on storyboards, like you get, you get a certain amount of frame, they'll just be constantly, redraw that, redraw that. No, could yeah. you do it more like this? And you just, you just, You'd kn you wouldn't last in the field if you weren't used to saying, yes, sir, sure, whatever you want. 
Whereas in comics, I'm like, I don't want to draw this again. No, it's funny. It's done. I'm moving on. And yeah. that you, you, even though you may work for a, a company that's part of a big corporation, whatever, you can almost feel like, gosh, I'm a little auteur here doing my thing and being yeah, an artist. It's a little more autonomous for sure. You, you can fool yourself in that. But you actually do. You know, we put our name on it, right? It's a little different than being that faceless person in the commercial world. So. Further to that, and speaking of Bill Morrison, uh, he was really great being an artist himself at championing, doing things like when we did the Carl Barks one that he said, you know, jump on the Carl Barks and make it look like Carl Barks. So that was wonderful. And um, same thing when we did another one that was really in. Uh, you uh, guys know who Carl Barks is, right? That's the Kirby one. Yeah, the greatest yeah, yeah. duck artist. Yeah. He drew Scrooge. He did Scrooge, du Scrooge McDuck and, uh, and, Donald, and, Duck and Donald Duck. Huey, Dewey, and, yeah. and Louie. He was phenomenal. And, you know, just a huge influence on, on many of us here. And uh, yeah. when I got a chance to, to draw that one, you know, Bill was all about, hey, jump in, make it, make it like that. So that's when I said, well, I'd love to use Andrew Pepo. He's got a really heavy line. He, you know, he really knows how to ink this way. And so we were able to do that. And we did another one in a Kirby style. And uh, that was super fun to do, too, because I'm a huge Jack Kirby fan. Yeah. And, uh, and and I, I loved, the, I, you know, I, I love the old Kirby stuff, and especially that Mike Royer ink line, which actually yeah. came in handy later when I was doing Fables, because that's oh, what yeah. Bucky, that's what Mark Buckingham wanted, was more, yeah. more of a Mike Royer line on all that stuff. So I got nice, I got to learn it, you know, get a nice start on it doing you. And oh, then, right and then took it over to Fables. And yet when he inks me, he gives me the Wally line so he's <laughs> <laughs> oh that's not a bad line to that's have not a bad, you know, oh yeah you know. i'll take a wallywood well, I mean, yeah. that's yeah. The thing, as, an, I, as an inker i i um i don't know unlike many inkers who feel like they have to impose their own look on a penciler i look at my job as an inker is to as as my job is to make each penciler look as good as they can in a style that best fits them and so i've inked all four of these guys um, at different times. He's and definitely one of my favorite anchors. Yeah, I mean, not only that, you make you make my stuff look more like the bongo stuff than my stuff looks when it goes in. Well, so, cool like, I, I I appreciate the fact that it cleans it up and it makes it like okay, but now it's it's what it is. Yeah. Speaking so, of Wally Wood, I often ape Wally Wood when I'm doing Futurama, just because it just feels so. Yeah, Perfect, yeah. you know. Yeah. Wally Wood, if you're unfamiliar with his stuff, he was an amazing artist, um, and he did a lot of science fiction stuff, and all this, and all this beautiful sort of, um, he, he drew Flesh Gordon for Mad Magazine, and he did Super Duper Man, and all that. The guy's just right. remarkable, yeah. and his science fiction take, you know, with the, the, the hard black line that also looks blue on this side, and then, uh, you know, the, the skin tone on that side, I freaking love that stuff. We, we, need, we need to do a job where you pencil like that and ink like that, because yeah. I'm actually, I actually get jobs, I've actually had several jobs I've gotten because they know I can, you know, I'm not as, nowhere near as good as Wally Wood, but I can fit that sort that. of mold. No, no, you, you but, do uh, but, but yeah, with all these guys, I, you know, the point I was making was like, I, I, I approach each of these guys differently than I would, you know, like, you know, like if I, I would definitely ink you in a much more Mike Royer-ish sort sure, of way yeah. while your stuff cries out for that Wally Wood line, you know. That, and that's me. Are, aren't you Wally, <laughs> Wally, Wood, Wally Wood? Yeah, you know. Wally Wood. <laughs> yeah. You know and, aren't and you the reincarnation of Wally Wood, uh, Hillary? Uh, I thought you were. You know, it's I, people. I just did an interview f for comics, uh, comic, book creator. comic book creator magazine, yeah. and it's the Wally Wood issue. And uh, I was first approached just to do the cover because I do. Uh, I Wood has just become more and more part of what I do. It kind of crept up on me. I when because uh, he's like, well, Wally Wood has to be your biggest influence. I said, well, I never thought about it that way. But I guess it happened when I wasn't looking. Um, I know it's there. I, it's not that I don't yeah. see it. But when I started out, I had many other influences. I mean, his people that were influenced by him, like the next generation, Bernie Wrightson, people that yeah. 
sort of connected the 1950s of EC to the Warren magazines and the horror comics in the 1970s. Uh, th that's how I got into that stuff, and then that led me back down the rabbit hole to finding the original artists yeah. who started that stuff. But I, yeah, um, anytime anyone says, oh, can you draw you know, uh, science fiction or something, I go, can it be like 1950s Chevy spaceships, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I just, that's, it just feels like that's the world I want to live in, you know? And uh, I kind of make everything look like that now. So I guess, yeah. I think he's, one of the things about his style, for me, there are other artists I love, but for some reason I looked at his stuff and I just, I could see how it worked, like it was a system mm -hmm. or something. Yeah, it's, I, it's interesting that way, you know, with yeah. certain artists. You see this, and it just speaks to you. You go, oh, I get that. You know, for Gene yeah. Colan was like that for me. I would look at Gene Colan stuff and go, oh, I, I can see that world. I can see exactly where he's doing it. I can see how he uses the mist and that. It's a remarkable feeling when that happens, when you kind of get this. But and Gene's worked on The Simpsons. Gene worked on The Simpsons? He yeah. did, he did Treehouse. He did Treehouse. He did Treehouse. Oh, Treehouse. I think I remember that. Yeah, of, yeah. Uh, Wait, what's Dracula. Gene, Gene Colan. Colan. That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I but, forgot but about the, Sim that. the Simpsons, you know, all these different styles and all these, that's one of the fun things with once they sort of opened up the styles on the, on the Simpsons is being, is being able to try all these different looks and approaches. Like, say, um, uh, Ian and Nina and I did a Treehouse Story uh, in a manga style. And we did like manga Simpsons, and yeah, they really, and, yeah. and and then and and they gave us an award for that, believe it or not. Nina and got a, yeah, <laughs> which first time out of the gate, Nina got an Eisner for doing a manga version of yeah, the Simpsons. That yeah, that didn't piss me off at all. We, we not had, at all. We, and Ian was so convinced we wouldn't win that he didn't even come to the awards. <laughs> Is that right? That <laughs> yeah. sounds like Ian. Well, we were up against Chris Ware. Nobody beats Chris Ware. Yeah, yeah. So it, was, it was a surprise. So anyway, but um, but yeah, and that it led to us doing a couple coup. more. Huh? It was yeah. a Canadian queue. But that led to us doing a couple more manga things. And like I said, so we've been talking about all these different styles. And that's been one of the fun things that I, one of the things I've particularly enjoyed about working on The Simpsons over all these years is that there has been a variety of styles and a variety of approaches. And that's what kept it fun for me. Yeah. Well, we're talking all this kind of arcane knowledge here. But I think it's, the, the point is that the, the, people that, that <laughs> the people that work at Bongo really know their comics history. And I think there's an appreciation for it. So the fun that I've had most with the book is when they said, we're doing this, but we're doing this approach, and I get to kind of do that. Because the guys that I grew up with, this is really Mad Magazine, tying that in, Bill Morrison's now editor on Mad Magazine, which is so appropriate. Um, and so Mad Magazine was always about guys like Will, Will Elder, who would just nail any style if they had to, if they had to do a satire of. Yeah. And so I kind of carried that on where we did like a Jules Pfeiffer satire, Phantom Tollbooth. And I had to hunt down what pen he was using and stuff. It really tried to imitate <laughs> everything right, right uh, down to the core. And so it's nice that there's really an appreciation of comics history at the, the book, um, which I think is another thing that separates it a little from the show. And Bill Morrison, sorry, I'm, I'll let you get to your Just to continue that, Bill has not only have knowledge of it, but his appreciation of these cartoonists bleeds over into uh, even hiring practices because he's made sure some of the mad guys have come on board, like Sergio Aragones, um, and, uh, you know, made sure that they would continue working, you know, into those later years. Um, the best example I can think of is he was um, recently acknowledged by Drew Friedman in his book, Heroes of the Comics, because Dan DiCarlo, who we mentioned, who had so much to do with the Archie and Betty comics and revolutionized the look in the 60s and brought Josie and the Pussycats, which was his creation, it wasn't an Archie comic. Um, he brought it to the Archie. When there was a dispute with the Archie company about that at the end of the 90s, he was fairly unceremoniously let go 
And Bill picked up on it, and Bill hired him right away to work at Bongo to make sure that he had work, and, and um, that's what Dan ended his days on. So Bill's yeah. always been really good about, about that. Awesome. My only regret there is that I didn't take that opportunity and say, oh, you've got Dan DiCarlo working with you. Could you put me on one of those books, and maybe we can – I'll ink, I'll do whatever he wants. I'll erase his pencils. So I was lucky. My, so fir my first Bongo job was with Dan DiCarlo, was my, it? my hero. Yeah, my yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's and, awesome. and so um, – so that's been a fun part of the comic too, you know, um, and uh, it's also nice to let, we're already losing the crowd with all this, <laughs> with all this inside joke stuff. They're good with me putting an inside joke stuff in. I was so going to make a fun, comment that the doors behind us, we're not going to lose anyone. And then people walked out, I'm like, oh. Yeah, we'll, 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 we'll stop. <laughs> you're, you're, you're stuck here till we're done. <laughs> I um, thought we were going to do bongo playing in here. That's yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, probably. <laughs> Tell so jokes and play bongo. So you had like a bunch of questions for us. Uh, sort of. Um, I, I'm hoping the, the audience will have some. Oh, but I, I want to answer I, audience I questions. I found it very interesting that you said um, uh, bongo came with the ideas for different styles and not that you had to try to convince them. To, uh, well, we did it first. Out. Yeah, we did a little bit. Yeah, I mean, for a while they had this very, very, how, very cold, yeah. you know, line, very much more like Matt's line. And was this uh, uh, Bill Morrison was then already? Well, Bill was open company? to it. That was what was nice right. about it. Like wh even after we did the Carl Barks one, because I'd, I'd done some uh, Futurama was one of the first ones I did after James was working on it for a while. They, I, uh, I what what time frame are we talking about? Sort of is this this is before two thousand late nineties, uh, right? Probably. Yeah. No, it would have been... Because uh, we were doing... A, it was coming see, up, I started in 2000. I got tired probably by 2001 and said, please call John in. I don't yeah. think I lasted long. Before. Yeah, well, no, first first I <laughs> so came in to help you do some backgrounds. Remember, we were, I was doing some yes. backgrounds. Yeah, so yeah. you're looking at 2003 or something. Yeah, probably something okay. like that, yeah. So then, uh, then after that... taken note. Yeah, so after that, then uh, James said, well, you know, John could actually uh, fill in for an issue. So at that point, I... I remember drawing a couple where I had put some shadows on, and actually James says, I don't know if I like that shadow look, you know? <laughs> and I go, yeah, that's okay, I, I don't I care. So. No. <laughs> I, I love the you? shadows on your stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But from what, no. I, what I heard, the way that what it got opened up after our issue was like, you know, for years, Bill had been trying to get Matt to allow brush inking yeah, and fancier well, stuff. And, Matt, and yeah. Matt just kept saying, no, 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 stick with this, stick with this. And we did our issue, and apparently Matt came into the office and saw the pages sitting there, and he's like, oh, this is nice. And Bill was like, well, now can we do more of this? And he was like, Okay, sure, and that you know. It's yeah, like, that's, so how, <laughs> that's how Bill had told it to me too, which I thought was really, really kind of funny because we were really quite, quite going off the, yeah, the, the, yeah. the sort of standard well, way of doing it. It's a very show me medium, and it's it's not just Bongo. It's like you know, I was doing something with Boom and Adventure Time, and basically before I even approached them about it, I had worked up samples, and I said, "Would you like to see something like this?" So I mean, I was doing Scratchboard, and they let me do a Scratchboard cover simply because I sent something in. So it's a very kind of a show yeah, me medium. You just talking to an editor and saying. You know, I just want to go off and do this thing with a bunch of ketchup and mustard, and so they're probably going to go. They don't, you know. So it's yeah, a lot of it is just, just really a matter of it sort is. of showing that this is going to work, you know, and sending yeah. some samples in. So I like didn't I know that uh, uh, Matt was so involved with um, the com the company. Is that on a day to day not on a day to day basis? But he would, from what I was told, he would oh, you know he would oversee things a little bit to a point. Like he would pop into the office maybe once a month, go over things with Bill and and Terry and the other you know people running it, and just sort of you know see what's going on. I mean, as time went on, Matt became less and less involved. But um, and in fact, I don't think he's involved at all at this point. But but uh, yeah. but but uh, um, at, you know he did 
certainly in the earlier days have, have much more involvement. I actually had lunch with him when, uh, when he first hired me. That's, he, he was actually that involved. We were in San Diego Comic-Con. He said, well, let's go out and have lunch and let's talk about whether you want, want to work for us. I was like, this is freaking epic, you know? Well, you know, and, and I used to live in Los Angeles, so I would always drop off my pages at the office. And so I'd see Matt almost every time I was there. So I, you say once a month. I'm, I, to me, it seemed like he was there all the time. Well, that's what they told yeah. me. Yeah. Well, I, I, I don't I'm, live in Los no, Angeles. I'm just, I'm just yeah, saying. No, no, but you live there, so yeah, you but know. Yeah, <laughs> but, you know, but it's that's Andrew, it's not the third degree. But, but see, that's the other thing. Everyone else is from somewhere else. And so, like, I was so close to the office. It was just so easy for me to just drop it off because we were FedExing boxes back and forth. And I'm like, why are we going to spend 25 bucks to send this over? I can drop it off. And so... Um, like I said, he was always there, and m my only thing was I didn't want to bother the dude. And so, like, every, when I would see him, like, in the driveway, I'd, I would sometimes park in the street <laughs> and wait for him to leave because cause, cause he was either coming or going. And it's like, okay, well, if he's leaving, then I'll just see him drive down the street. But if he's coming, then I just won't see him leave, and I'll be able to go in. So I, I would try to walk in, and then I'd walk around the corner. He'd be sitting there. And he, I don't know if you guys know, so he, to me, he sounds like Frosty the Snowman from, from the Rankin-Bass cartoon. Yeah, yeah, uh, what's his Hi, name? Hi, everybody. Yeah, yeah, hey. oh. So, yeah, I, I walked around, and I'm like, oh, shit. And, and he's standing there, and he goes, hey, do you have art? And I said, yes, Mr. Granning. And he says, can I look at it? And I'm like, uh, well, it's yours, so sure. Oh, man, I, I won't go with it. Right? <laughs> kind of oh, like a Frosty. <laughs> I so, totally like, to me, but you know, this is the other thing. Because I'm in Los Angeles, or was in Los Angeles, I knew guys that worked on the show for like eight years, and they would have friends that would come to them and say, "Oh my God, so how's Matt Groening?" I said, "I don't know. I've never met him." People they worked on the show for eight years and never met yeah. him because he's not involved with that. But with the comic book, he was in the offices were his offices. Yeah, and so he, he was started, there. He started as an illustrator, Life in Hell, and all that sort of thing. So it meant a lot to him. Bongo Comics, I think, meant a lot to him oh, when, yeah, he, when he first started. And so, yeah, I think he, he definitely got a lot more involved in that. He, uh, yeah, he's a super sweet guy. Actually, I'll tell you, kind of an interesting story about a Comic-Con. This is the last time I saw Matt was uh, we were in San Diego, and uh, we were doing a signing, and he's sitting beside me, and uh, there's this big lineup, as there would be. It's Matt Groening. And uh, the, one of the organizers came up and said, hey, can we get you guys to just shove down a little bit? We got this lineup for Harold and Kumar over here. <laughs> And I went, do you, know, do you know who this is? And all he said was, oh, hey, don't, don't do that. <laughs> don't. don't. <laughs> I said, no, I, I got this. Yeah. <laughs> I said, you can't ask him to shove over for Harold and Kumar. This is the creator of one of the greatest television shows. And I turned and he was leaving. <laughs> he just didn't want anything to do with that at all. He goes, he was so shy and just, you know, he wasn't, he's not going to Matt Groening or anything. He's just, oh, no, don't do that. And off he went. So I went, okay, well, I guess we're moving for Harold and Kumar now. So. <laughs> Uh, that's kind of that is San Diego in a nutshell. Movies pushing comics off. Yeah, to the absolutely. Side. Well, yeah. I, I yeah. wasn't lost on me. You know, that's exactly what I thought about it too. And yeah. you know, and I was just like so frustrated by that, the stupidity of that. And I, what does Harold and Kumar have to do with a Comic Con? You know, yeah, at all. Right? Who knows? So, yeah. So San were Diego's you all fans place. of um, The Simpsons? Uh, before you started working? Oh, absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, uh, three quarters of my brain is filled with Simpsons one-liners. I, th I think they're, they're, I mean, they've been on for so long now, they're part of our, 
just national or not national yeah, world. It's not even being a fan. It's, cultural it's heritage. Like, you've either seen it or or will see it. Well, Smithers, I guess I owe you a coke. You know, I remember. <laughs> I, remember yeah. I remember watching the first Tracy Ullman show when it first yeah. was on. Yeah, the absolutely. very first Simpsons. Yeah, yeah me you know. too. Yeah, I, do and I don't. I don't remember anything I about remember the Tracy Ullman show. I just but I remember thinking how weird that show looked. Like the cartoons. The voice weird. Weird and everything. It was just so. It had so undeveloped and strange. Kind of monster, you know. Well, they kind of looked like Matt's drawings. Exactly. Yeah, I like those original ones. The audio foley was really weird. Everything was just bizarre. But I mean, they were done on a shoestring budget. It was. It was this sort of will this go? Will this even make? You know. And but yeah. No, I visited a. I'm traveling to see my dad more, and so I'm going back to my hometown, seeing, reconnecting with some people that I grew up with. And so it's weird for friends that knew me in my teenage years. It's a much bigger deal for them than I do The Simpsons. Because I forgot when the shorts first started airing on Tracy Ullman, and this was the landlocked days before the internet in a small town, there wasn't anything cool. It just didn't come through. It didn't make it through into the um, sort of mass consciousness. So I had a friend come to school and was just raving about this, these little short cartoons that are on Fox that in between these comedy sketches because that's a, they were these shorts on the Tracy Ullman show. And he was describing them to me and I was on the floor and I was like, how do I find this? And then it turned out it was, um, somebody said, yeah, yeah, Matt Groening, Life and Hell, it's his stuff. So that was huge for us. Um, and that first season was like, yeah, it was, that was a revolution, but it was really those shorts that I was like crazy to find and... Uh, so uh, I, I was really excited just because I was already a Matt Groening fan. Um, I had read School as Hell at 16 um, just because an older brother's friend had it. And I hadn't seen that before because everything was very generic at that point in the sense that if you saw something about high school, you were going to have the same high school bully. You were going to have the same set of teachers. But Matt in School as Hell got it exact because I was 16 and I was like, this is, I thought I was going through this alone. He got all the specifics right. And so I was a huge fan of Matt more than anything else. So The Simpsons were big for me, but it was really his strips. So for me, the excitement was really working for something that Matt Groening had created, you know. Um, so for me, yeah, it was the, those were like a revolution at the time. I think people sometimes forget with the accessibility now of everything and how much is available through Netflix or whatever. That something like that making just landing onto primetime TV was... Well, and just, just the fact huge. that it's been on as long as it has. And, you know, I mean, we all seen, you know, one or two seasons where it's maybe not as good as the others. But to be consistently on and consistently doing the kind of level of work that they do, it's remarkable. To be even remotely associated with that. Whenever I tell people, yeah, I work on the Simpsons comic, they don't hear the Simpsons comic. They go, you work on the Simpsons? Same, yeah. 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 Same here. Sure, yeah, yeah. sure, you know. Yeah, yeah. She, is that why yeah. you do it 20 years later? <laughs> The checks. <laughs> checks yeah, yeah. is why I do it. But I'd like to say it's all art. <laughs> uh, a few of this happened in recent years. Uh, I'm part of, you know, we had little comics communities in almost every city and they have the drink and draws, they call them, where you, you get together. But younger guys that are, were fans of the show to the extent, because this is not me, I, I watch the show, but I don't remember every line of dialogue. I have two friends, and, and one of them's uh, Jason, but th who just can quote any line. And if you do a story, they're looking at the comic I've done, and they'll say, oh, that's just like episode whatever, where, and, I, and I have no idea what they're talking about, because <laughs> yeah, I'm not yeah. that into it. But the, I thought one of the best compliments was they picked up one of the books, it might have been written by Ian, but um, he, 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 he actually read it. He was a comics reader, but never read the comic version. He loved the show. This is not Jason, this is another guy. And he said, you know what, that's as funny as a show. It's just like an episode of the show. I go... What did you think it was going to be? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was like somehow it couldn't be that good. 
it's it's a different medium, but it's the same story, the yeah. same characters, the same It lends itself to that medium so perfectly. Yeah. You know, I think that's obviously Matt had that back in the mind. I'll tell you guys something that's kind of, and I'm, I'm, I don't know if I can speak for everybody here, but when you're reading a script, when a script comes in for these comics, you hear the voices in your head as you're reading it. <laughs> it's remarkable because it's so ingrained in us, right? Yeah. We've all been watching this thing. So, you know, you'll, Ian will write something like, do, and I'm going, do. Like, you, you just hear it. It's, it's exactly, it's one of the most remarkable things. I've been working in film for years, and I, I read tons and tons of scripts. I do storyboards and production design and directing and stuff. So I read tons of scripts, but every time I read a Simpsons or a Futurama script, it's like, oh, Leela. And I'm like, oh, God, I can hear that, you know? <laughs> it's just mind-blowing, you know? They just... The, the fact that these writers can, can speak so succinctly in these voices, it's almost, it would almost be impossible not to because they're so big a part of our lives. We've yeah. been watching these shows for so long. Yeah, right? so it's, yeah it has expanded into strange yeah. areas. Like they've got Simpsons trivia nights in Vancouver, yeah. you know, where teams pair off. And I sometimes get invited because they, they started doing a thing where the, the, the prize would be like a sketch from me, which is fine. I'm happy to show up. I watched this stuff. I'm going. I had no. I don't know what they're talking about yeah. with most of this stuff anymore. Yeah. I mean, I'm working on this stuff, and I can't follow. You know, I didn't know Frank Grimes' second cousin had a pool boy. Now I don't. I haven't followed it yeah, that yeah. you know closely. So it's amazing what people think. I actually the what knowledge I'm supposed to have amassed from this. You know, when I watch these trivia nights, what people know about that show, it's amazing. It's it's I just kind of sit in the back. I'm like, okay, when do I do the sketch? You know, this is fun, but it's yeah, it's. Yeah, it's amazing how much it's permeated the culture, you know, and, and how much it's expanded. I was being glib when I said about the text, by the way, because there is a, just such a love for these characters. You know, and I, I'm sure I have all yeah. these guys feel it too. It's you, when you're drawing them, there's a, a sensation and a both familiarity, familiar and new each time, and it's exciting and it's fun and you know. Like uh, James says, you know, you can't remember every episode by any stretch of imagination, but you remember how they react and you remember how they do certain things. So when Homer gets angry, you, you can see it in your head about what that's gonna look like, you know? And as an artist drawing that, it's, it's really kind of transcendent in a way. Like you're, it's like your hand starts drawing because you know what that looks like. Oh, right, I know what that looks like, you know? When I'm drawing Batman or Superman and that, I will often have, I'll do a grimace just the way I'm sort of seeing a grimace. But I know how Homer Simpson grimaces. Like, you know, you can't not know that. You've seen it. You know what that looks like. Right? Oh yeah, cool. I can do that. You know, sort of thing. So, I find it really exciting to, to even even now whenever I I get a script, it's it's a fresh bit of excitement. And uh, things like that. Um, if you get a script, um, is it very? Um, are, are you uh, given a lot of leeway, a lot of freedom to add in certain things? I mean, uh, The Simpsons and Futurama are um, uh, humor first, I think. So uh, that, that works visually as well. Is this already decided in the script or is this something that can come to you? While oh, you're oh I see what you're saying. As an artist, I think, I think we can all answer this one. I mean, for myself, I think there is a fair amount of leeway. You know, I mean, there's two, there's sort of in, in script writing, uh, certainly in comics, there's two sort of ways that people usually describe it. There's the Marvel method, which is they write out a script sort of on this page, this is what has to happen, and the artist will write it out and sort of figure out how they want to pose it out and, and plan out the scenes kind of like a director and then the writer will come back and put in dialogue in, in accordance to what the, the vision was. The other method is sort of known as the DC method but a lot of people use it and the uh, Bongo uses it's it. Full it's a full script method. where it says you know panel one is a, but they don't say panel one has to be a horizontal panel or panel two you know so how you 
picture it as a director, as it were, you know, a director with a pencil, is you, you say, okay, this is the scene I'm going to go, and I, I want it to have a sense of continuity. I want it to have a sense of play and that your eye will follow through the page. I th you know, Hillary's a freaking master of that. James is a master of that. Tone's really master of that. I've seen Andrew's independent stuff. So we, we, I think we all really like to kind of bring the idea that it's not just panel to panel, that it's an entire page that you're looking at. And you're going, oh, cool, that all makes sense. Now I'm flow flowing through it. And the scripts allow us to do that. They, they're very open that way. And you go, okay, cool. How can I make this read properly? You so they're somewhere, they're like Marvel style? Uh, I mean, I've, I've as a, as worked a on a couple that are a little, you know, a couple of scripts that are a little looser, but they're pretty usually pretty full scripts. They usually yeah. have like all the dialogue written out and all that kind yeah. of thing. Uh, we did a Superman vs. Lobo for DC and uh, David McLenny wrote that and that was full Marvel style. He didn't even, didn't even have the dialogue written and it was just like, I need him to do this and I'm going, okay. So oh. later when it came back, I was like, oh, cool. So I didn't expect that. Oh, that's neat. And it was funny. He had all these different lines written, but I wasn't expecting it at all. I didn't even have any of that. He'd just say, you know, um, one point he said, um, Lobos fired upon by these uh, these ships that, that rise up from the horizon. They're fired on. So I drew them kind of real Jack Kirby looking sort of sh ships because I'm a big Jack Kirby fan. And he called them Jack Kirby pound uh, p uh, Planet Pounders. <laughs> he wrote Jack Kirby. <laughs> you know, like, well, that's kind of cool. <laughs> so yeah, kind of fun stuff. So the Marvel style is very unusual that way. Sometimes it comes back. Jack Kirby used to sometimes get all knotted up because of some of the things that Stan would put, right? Because he, Jack had, it would, would write in the, the panels, this is what he's going to say, and then Stan would sometimes either use it or sometimes not. And so that's, that can be equally frustrating. As it Usually can be well, I think we should yeah. maybe define about what you're talking about. That the idea is that with Marvel style, it's the idea of dialogue being added after the art, which I... Um, I'm deeply kind of opposed to, even though yeah. I know there's a certain no, freedom for artists. And, and it no, but certainly with humor, it, does, it can work wonderfully well. Where you're yeah. feeding off each other, it can also work where yeah. there's a plot, and then the artist draws his plot, and then the writer rewrites yeah. it again, and, the, yeah. and that's just bad comics. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, with me and, and David, uh, we talked on the phone about it quite a few times, and I think that that's how it's supposed to be designed, the Marvel style, yeah. is that you're supposed to get a communication going between artist and writer so that you can actually get you know, something working on the same page. And I, I was extremely happy with uh, Superman vs. Lobo. It, it, it played out great. But, but yeah, often I our input is gags in the background, right? So you have well, the script, and that's yeah. foreground. They yeah. usually don't I've worked with maybe one writer, Alan Moore, who actually tells you what's going on in the background and what people yeah. had for breakfast and yeah, what they yeah, did exactly. the, the week before. But this, and I'm sure, you, I know you do this, because you've always got people walking around doing things. You just... Some little funny bit of business, as long as it's not distracting from the plot and the yeah. foreground, you and just you throw those little things in. That's yeah, kind of what you do. I, I, I did that a lot. I, I mean, because yeah. we would have panels where um, I remember one story in particular. It was a, a crusty uh, story, and we needed to cut to Krusty's comic book empire over the course of the story. It was the Radioactive Man story. And I had to draw the same panel every single time. So every, you know, I don't know, six, seven pages or whatever, we'd go back to Krusty's office building and it had, because he, he had just bought uh, the Radioactive Man comic books and so it was a building that had like, it was like a I don't know, like an L-shaped building and there was a giant cutout of Radioactive Man standing in front of it and you'd walk through his legs to go inside and I just thought to myself, well, I'll just and I do like poor man Photoshop, I literally make a, a stat and I just cut it out and I stape it down. But I realized that because nothing was going on in that panel and nothing needed to go on in that panel, I could have some fun. And so I literally created a story where 
my then girlfriend and her friend were walking this way and this lecherous kind of guy was walking this way. They see each other in the second panel and then a couple pages later we go back and now they've passed each other and they are looking at him, he's looking at her and then the next time you come back, he's making like smoochy faces. And then the next time you see him, he's walking around. He's got his hand over his eye and they're walking off like all upset. <laughs> and like I said, that got in only because it didn't change the narrative of the story. Right. It was like an additional silly fun thing for us to do. And if the people got it and saw it, it was a bonus. If they didn't get it because there was no dialogue, there was no story other than what I added. But it didn't distract from the regular narrative. Yeah, those, uh, whenever you get a script from somebody and they say, you know, it's uh, at a Comic-Con or something and there's all these things. I mean, that's just open license to draw your friends in there. Absolutely. And, you know, <laughs> absolutely. You know, and I've drawn James in about a million comics. Like, I'm, you know, I need to put James in there. I missed all that. <laughs> yeah, I got a and, bunch. And James, James has drawn John. James has drawn me in a couple times. times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's put, put me in there sometimes. But I, my, I've drawn so many of my friends. I mean, every friend that I know has, has appeared. We call it going yellow. I go, <laughs> uh, I went yellow. Delayment went, went yellow. <laughs> okay, I will open the floor for some questions if anyone has one. No, you're, all, you're, you're all falling asleep. Completely sated. Completely yeah. sated with information. Nothing at all? Okay. Then I'll, I'll thank my esteemed panelists for their uh, presence. Thank you guys for coming. Oh, yes. Uh, thank, thank you, you so much out. for, for um, hosting. Thanks for showing great your interest. Hour. Thank you for coming in and waiting for your next panel. We're, uh, we're still signing and still <laughs> yeah, drawing. We're all together out yeah. there. Yep. We all have we're all to run there. You guys come Got by. a lot of work to do. Respective booths. Absolutely. And what? Cheers. Thanks for having us. Excellent. Okay. Oh.